Yeah, there we go. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to Wiseman Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Glennis, and I'm here with my co-host, Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? Hey, Sean. I'm great. Uh, how are you? <laughs> really good. We got a special episode here today. I know. Yeah, um, yeah, it's fun. It's exciting. Yeah. Uh, we had the opportunity to uh, interview the... Um, one and only Jonathan Davey, the Emmy award-winning John Davey, uh, cinematographer for the last, what, 33 films of Frederick Wiseman's. Pretty significant. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what did you think? Oh man. I mean, it was, it was a, a complete joy. Uh, we thank John for uh, indulging us. Um, you know, uh, up until God, I think that first review we found came out around Monrovia, right? Up up until then, he was kind of seemed like an unknown quantity a bit uh, in terms of just kind of public awareness, or and just yeah. you know beyond his his prolific output uh, with Weissman and, and many others, uh, particularly throughout like Nat Geo uh, kind of stuff. Um, but you know, I, I mean, you and I spend a good deal of time talking about Davey, uh, in our episodes and, and sort of, um, like, uh, projecting maybe, or, or just sort of, uh, speculating about what he's doing and w what his interests are and how he operates. But, uh, you know, we had, we had the opportunity to ask him those questions and, you know, relative to uh, s some other people in, in this uh, decades-long collaboration, he, he's very forthcoming, <laughs> uh, yes. and 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 happy to, to discuss those those details, technical and, and otherwise. So, um, yeah, we, I mean, a, a wealth of info. Uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the listeners will really enjoy it. It's very conversational, um, and he was very generous. Um, and gave us a new perspective or an additional perspective of of things to work or to to think about um when we talk about and when we watch uh Wiseman's work um and there's a couple things that I did want to give like context for sure um so he does do uh because the conversation was just so natural there are like some visual cues that he's telling us like giving to us that won't make it mm. uh that won't make sense to to listeners but um there are times uh when he's he's referring to like body movements that that he that fred is interested in that he's shooting and and he's usually doing like a scratching of the chin or um mm. uh he he the thing that he said fred doesn't like is like uh hands crossed over um like sitting with your arms crossed um and so it's usually like he's usually referring in these moments to like uh, eye movement or head movement or like hand movement. That is just uh, it's interesting. So that might not make sense otherwise. But um, uh, and I also did want to mention that there is a moment when I, that I was proud of 
when I asked him about a uh, specific scene in City Hall where he was about to take a drink of his beer and started laughing, <laughs> um, which uh, which makes us laugh, but again, on listening, it won't make sense, uh, or you know. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it, it was it was it was a great chat. Yeah, um, I guess for further context, it was such a great chat, and we were so immediately engrossed uh in conversation uh i forgot to record uh our audio <laughs> so so this is this is raw straight from zoom baby as raw as it gets yeah. um so it's a, a quality uh audio quality not tip top uh, what you're used to but um it is all worthwhile anyway and, and actually it would have had no effect on on john's audio either way it's just sure. just you and me it's funny that uh, when we interviewed Fred Wiseman for this, we got a scoop. Ah, uh -huh. um, yes. No spoilers. And no spoilers, but uh, we we got a couple bits of info that will be interest that will be of interest for for uh, listeners. Um, and I think there's a bit of a bomb. An atomic dropped. bomb. Yeah. An atomic. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. We A missile yeah, goes off. We we went back um, to Vanderberg for a bit at the top here. Yeah, some some surprises. So uh Yeah. Uh, I maybe guess, maybe yes. we'll discuss that, uh uh the reverberations of that on the next ep, but um yeah, no, I don't wanna spoil anything. But yeah, but we no. I I was taken aback, uh as yeah. I'm sure you were, as it seemed like uh Davy was. Um yeah. And yeah. Alright, enjoy the chat. Oh, can I do can I do uh a, a minor housekeeping also? Sure. What do you uh well first for the studs heads, I'm sure people uh were really mad at me last last episode when i said there wasn't a minor chapter that's like one of the first chapters in working <laughs> <laughs> um so I, that that's i want to apologize for that um and uh the very first episode we did uh with the great carolyn anderson for titty cut follies uh, at the end of that i i mentioned i had a film playing uh, the then upcoming Prismatic Ground, which just celebrated its third year, actually coincidentally uh, featuring a, a feature doc uh, from Carolyn's daughter, uh, Kimi Takasue, uh, which I'm looking forward to checking out. Um, but I'm, I'm back at it again. I have uh, a new short. I co-directed it with a longtime collaborator, Brian Gersten, who you know uh, from previous pod. And uh, so that is having its world premiere at Mammoth Lakes Film Fest on uh, Saturday, May 27th. Uh, and then we'll be playing in New York City at the Rooftop Film Summer Series uh, Friday, June 9th as part of the Dangerous Docs program. Uh, the, the movie's called Balloon Boy. It's a short. Um, and yeah, so if you're... Uh, around come for out. either of those, yeah, I'll be there. Uh, All the Mammoth Lake listeners, come on out. <laughs> uh, coming down from Reno, where your where your Fred Weissman was right shirts, uh, <laughs> and say hi. All right, enjoy our conversation with Jonathan Davy. Yes, we've just
Howdy. Hi. Thanks Sorry for joining that. us. No, no. Uh, um, I, I had everything set up. Um, and uh, there was, I've had a lot of problems with my internet. And um, I was trying to go on Firefox and it was blocking me out and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, apologies for the delay. I'm really sorry to keep you waiting. Not at all. No, you're you're no. coming through clear and, and we're happy to have you. Um, well, I'm, yeah, I mean, I don't know why you're talking to me because I've looked at um, <laughs> your podcast and you seem to know, know more about Fred Wiseman than, than I would ever know about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I sure that. that's not true, but appreciate um, it. <laughs> I I, uh, I have to say, I just had like a moment about an hour ago that made me think about Wiseman's films that um, that maybe uh, as that you've obviously been a part of. But I was driving home and saw and uh, me and my fiance were in the car and this this raccoon like walked out in front of the, the street. And it was like it almost looked like it was drunk, like it, it was clearly like uh, harmed. And it was just kind of like falling down and getting up and, and we like stopped and we're watching it and we were like uh you know my, my fiance was like oh should I do something to help like should I like get something and I was just like you know nature this is nature <laughs> you know it's ugly uh and yeah. you know sometimes you just gotta let it happen so you didn't give a CPR no no <laughs> and I also didn't go up and shoot it with a gun <laughs> yeah yeah right now they're the ones that leave a terrible odor aren't they no, that's skunks. Oh, the skunk, yeah, of course. No, it's just that I remember when we were doing um, Belfast, Maine, um, which is um, in Fred's backyard, you know, where, his, um, mm -hmm. where he's got his, uh, his sort of uh, dacha. Um, we went over, we, one day we, we, uh, we ran over a skunk, and it was a route that we took regularly because we were doing this film for about three or four months or at least two or three months. And every time, I mean, the, the carcass disappeared, but every time we drove over the spot, the, the odour came up through the car floor. Wow. <laughs> I remember that. Anyway, it's really <laughs> interesting. interesting. Um, so we have to ask, um, have you spent any time in France very recently? Uh, well, um, obviously when I did uh, a couple. Oh, okay. Um, I... Um, I was there obviously for that shoot and then we did the the di and i went over to france um uh several times the last time i was actually in paris was when i was on my way to uh, venice to meet up with fred um mm. for the uh, for the festival um, oh, but i didn't actually see fred why, why do you ask well i heard that he had a new film in the works and i thought that yeah. it was uh um the one about the uh the restaurant group yeah. uh yeah <laughs> I, well you know how you know how fred keeps everything pretty close sure to sure if you can't say um, anything about it that's fine <laughs> well i'm um well the only thing i would say is that um i mean it was one of the biggest dilemmas that i've ever had in my life well one of the one of the major dilemmas that i've had um um fred shot it last year mm. last may i think it was last may um and in march march april um he phoned me up and i i knew that it was on the cards i knew that it was you know possibly happening and having shot the previous 30 three films he asked me to shoot that one i couldn't do it i had oh, a lot no. of, oh my god 
Yeah, I know. I know. Um, um, and um, it, it, it was really, really difficult. Um, but I had, I had, a, I had other stuff. I had other commitments. I had family commitments. I had other work commitments and stuff. And there was absolutely no way that I could. Um, there was actually no no way that I could shoot it. So um, it was a it was a really kind of traumatic um, yeah. uh, period of time because um, anyway, when I spoke to Fred and uh, you know, I mean, we had a lot of conversations, and he was trying to accommodate you know dates and stuff. And I, I said, well, I'm "Sorry, Fred, I just cannot do it." So, um, so what happened was that Jim Bishop, who's been our assistant, camera assistant for the last oh. 10, 15 years, um, is actually a very established cameraman, works out of Nairobi. Um, and I just said to Fred, why, you know, why don't you use Jim? Which is what he did. So no Jim, I mean, I, I, I had, I was talking to a, a very, very good friend of mine, a guy called Dick Pope, who's a cinematographer. Yeah, yeah. Works with uh, Michael Lee. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've known each other for, I mean, since we were almost, you know, when I first moved to London. Um, and um, he, when I told him I couldn't do it, he said, he said, how can you bear to see another cameraman step into your shoes? Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, well, it's, uh, well, I lied. I said, oh, quite easily, actually. But I, you know, I was lying. But, um, mm -hmm. and because uh, he's he obviously works with Mike Lee a lot. and. I believe he might even be working with him now, but um, um, yeah, it was tough. It was difficult, and yeah, I mean, wow. having spent uh, all of this time working with Fred, it was uh, it was a really tough decision, hmm. um, and it was it was not easy. Was it was it kind of a shock to him? Yeah, I think so. Well, you'll have to ask. I can't speak <laughs> for Fred. But, <laughs> sure, um, sure. It was yeah. I mean, it was um, yeah. I mean, it was it was actually quite uh, for for both of us. It was quite traumatic because I mean, I you know, I've had I've, I've I've worked with hundreds of directors, but I mean, Fred is the one you know director that I worked with most of all over forty four years. You know, when I was yeah. just a, a, a young junior up and coming cameraman, um, just starting off. Um, so yeah, wow. interesting. Uh, yeah, ma major well, bomb. I, I have to say, sorry to interrupt you. We do, you know, we haven't fallen out. Of course. <laughs> I thought sure, sure. Yeah. He does, we do talk to him. In fact, I might even go and see him uh, in a week or two's time and have lunch because yeah. uh, it's so easy Beautiful. to go near a star. Yeah. Over there. Um, but um, I mean, we're all we're already talking about another film. Oh, wow. Great. Oh. Love to hear yeah. I guess he's okay. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, yeah, yeah. I mean, Fred, Fred can speak for himself, but I, I guess he's finishing off the film now. Mm -hmm. so, so that that was May 2022, you said, yeah, was, okay, no, cool. uh, yeah, 22, yeah, yeah, cool. Um, well, well, you know, I guess sp speaking about your, your time as a junior cameraman, uh, and and you know, uh before you began your your fruitful collaboration with Weissman um just want to talk about you know that that kind of 70s period for you a little bit you know you've, you've mentioned um in a couple of interviews this sort of uh traumatic uh avalanche experience that that uh took you out of um medical school yeah. and you know uh, put you on the path towards becoming uh who you are now I'm curious though you know what 
it, it's understandable that that would make you, you know, stop your course in medicine. But what what was it specifically about, you know, documentary filmmaking that that drew you? Um, Fred has talked about seeing a film, an early uh, Ricky Leacock film called Mooney versus Fowl, that sort of sparked something in him. Was there a, a film or a filmmaker whose work uh, really resonated with you and made you think, you know, this is what I want to be doing? No, not at all. Um... When I was at school, I, you know, the usual thing, I had a camera, you know, an aunt or somebody, a relative bought me a camera. And um, uh, I used to take lots of sort of portrait pictures of my family and um, growing up um, my sort of early teenage years, um, looking back on it. And I recently I did look at some some of the old um, photographs, the 35 mil stills that I took. And I had absolutely no inkling at all that I was going to end up in the film industry. But I used to... Um, sort of take off early on a Sunday morning and cycle up to the um, uh, to the hills and take um, kind of beauty shots of the mist rising. And then I used to hang out in the docks in Cardiff and look out for interesting images, uh, burnt out buildings and homeless people and stuff like that. But I have absolutely no idea as to end up as a, as a, as a, as a documentary cameraman. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, there were some films that I that I remember. Dolce Vita, I remember seeing that. Mm. And um, uh, what was the other one? Um, uh, Conrad. Oh yeah, Conrad Hall did a. Do you know the American cinematographer called Con Conrad Hall? Yeah, very very brilliant, much. <laughs> brilliant yeah. cameraman. Um, yeah. And I saw a film. Um, uh, oh, what was it? Black and white. Um, wasn't that Capote thing, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. In Cold Blood? <clears throat> In Cold Blood. That's mm -hmm. right, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'd I, you know, I'd also seen um uh quite, you know, Nestor Melndros, um Days of Heaven, was it? You got an Oscar? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. I was watching, I mean, that was in the early oh also the Wild Bunch as well. That was a yeah. that was a, a a film, but also the Fellini film. Um, um and Doctor Strangelove, remember seeing Doctor Strangelove? Um, so yeah. it was kind of feature films. They were yeah, interestingly, they were black and white. Um, so I didn't really. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is that what I knew when I was doing medicine, uh, when I was at med school, and I was it was only the preclinical stuff, um, is that um, I did, I really you know I knew that I didn't want to be an, uh, a chartered accountant like my father, mm -hmm. <laughs> and. Um, and I and I did realize even before the the Aberfan thing uh, that I wasn't really committed to. You know, I don't think I would have made a good doctor, and I, I really wasn't committed to it. But I, I wanted to get uh, away from actually from South Wales, and um, I got a job as a as a, a, a trainee assistant director, making industrial documentary films uh, for the uh, the Cobalt Film Unit, and it was a great way of getting into the business. And uh, uh, you know, a lot of the. I mean, I thought I was in Hollywood. We were we were going out to the north of England and working on the coal face and filming in you know kind of um, um, you know a scene, a coal scene, you know, like three foot high, and um, working with clockwork cameras, Newman Sinclair, clock thirty. It's all on thirty five mil. Um, wow. So there were training films, safety films, and um, a, a series called Mining Review, which were like sort of Pathé News type uh, shorts mm -hmm. that go before the main feature. And they were shown all over the, over the country. So that was my training. 
it was a real kind of you know learning on the job thing sounds like yeah absolutely yeah it wasn't um i mean film school was just starting then um and i did uh, i did have an interview with the bbc um but because i was dropping out of you know med school um they didn't take me seriously i think they offered me a job as a rigger driver in south <laughs> wales <laughs> I, I didn't want to do that. So I um, I, I wrote to the, uh, the Cold War Film Unit, the NCB Film Unit, the Industrial Documentary Film Unit, and got an interview. And then um, a couple of uh, a month or two later, I, I got a I got a letter to say that they had a position as a trainee, because in those days, the, the union was very strict. And to get into the industry, that was really the only way that you could do it. You had to mm. get a job as a trainee, either at the labs or place like the Cold War film unit and 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 um that's exactly that's what I did that sounds like a great uh entree uh not only into filmmaking but into uh a socially conscious and aware filmmaking you know knowing Absolutely. what what would be coming with trade unions um a little bit later in that time um but I, I believe shortly after this you also began became involved with Alan King Associates yeah. um yeah. the Canadian documentarian uh, it was a group that that also included um you know a previous Weissman cameraman uh Richard Leiterman and William Brain that's right um and I'm I'm just curious well one one just sort of if you could speak to you know it sounds like a very exciting milieu and and uh just environment uh very fruitful like collaboration if you could speak to that a little and then and then a bit maybe when you know, brain sort of tapped you and said, you know, I'm going to start doing directing and TV, but, you know, I've been working with this guy, Frederick Weissman, you know, if, if what, what, uh, what your preconceptions were about Weissman based on, uh, conversations you might've had with either Leiterman or brain, uh, before maneuver. Right. Well, um, Bill brain was, a, was, a, we were partners in this company, Alan King says, as you know, Alan King came over in the early sixties to make, um, art films for CBC. And he came over with Richard Leiterman and Bill Brain. Um, and they set this company up. Uh, and I think they opened up an office in Ibiza, actually. Um, but that was before, you know, that was when I was still at school um, in the early 60s. Um, so um, when I left the Cold Board, as soon as I got my union ticket, I left the Cold Board film unit. And I worked as a, an assistant, a camera assistant, in uh, for, for TV companies like Granada Television, tends to you know regional TV companies. Um, but I, I I knew about this company, AKAs, Alan King Associates, and they just seemed to be the ideal company to get in with. They were doing rock and roll shoots. They were going off all you know all corners of, of uh, the world doing anthropological films. Um, so um, I went along there with a friend and um, introduced myself, and I. Or maybe I got one or two jobs as a camera assistant with them. And then I started shooting um, local news, well, not news, but current affairs programs and stuff like that. So I started establishing myself. And obviously Bill Brain was, uh, was one of the associates there, as was Richard Leiterman. Then I was asked to become a partner. And I mean, we all knew about Fred. I mean, even, even then he had quite a reputation and his films were always shown at um, the London Film Festival. And um, whenever Bill finished a film with, um, uh, with, with Fred, Fred would send over a 16 mil copy and um, uh, we'd, we'd screen it in our, you know, little preview theatre 
Um, and uh, so I knew about Fred and, and also the London Film Festival. Um, I went along and saw a couple of his films. Uh, but at that time, Bill was moving over to directing. He was doing, working on series like The Professionals and Starsky. Uh, it was like Starsky and Hutch. Um, cops, you know, London cops and uh, car chases and, and stuff. And, and of course, Bill was absolutely ideal for that because he... Uh, he used to be in uh, both Bill and and uh, Richard were c a Canadian, um, and of course um, uh, the guy who shot uh, Tilly Got Follies, um, John Marshall. John Marshall, yeah, he was an anthropologist, director, cameraman, um, and did lots of films with the Bushman Bushman of the Kalahari. I I've actually got a good friend who's uh, an anthropologist who who knew him quite well. Um, so. Um, he he just did the follies, and then Richard just did high school, mm -hmm. and then um, that's all he did. And then Bill came along and shot the next ten films for Fred. So you know, I'd never met Fred, um, and then uh, and then Bill said, "Oh, um, I'm not doing the next Fred's next film. Um, you know, you should do it." And um, I, I was, you know, I was. I didn't consider that I was qualified enough because bill was very experienced richard was very experienced um and i'd only been shooting for a couple of years or so um and um and fred i don't think fred even saw any of my work he mm. just took presumably he just took it on on facebook you know <laughs> from what bill had told him and i did ask bill i, I said what's you know what's it like working with fred and he gave a kind of rice mind he said oh you'll find out <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, when we did Maneuver, I mean, obviously, I must have spoken to Fred on the phone. I was, you know, I was, I was very, very nervous, extremely nervous. I really didn't think I was good enough to be Fred Wiseman's cameraman. Um, so anyway, I, I uh, flew off to, met Fred and Ollie, the, the assistant at Logan Airport in Boston. And then we immediately took a flight um, down to... Uh, uh England Air Force Base, uh, you know, somewhere in um mm -hmm. somewhere with the uh, uh Fort Polk. Is it Fort Polk? Yeah, Fort yeah. Polk. Mm -hmm. Um and uh literally started filming the next day. And then we headed off to Germany. We kind wow. of joined up. We, you know, we even wore uniform. And uh, I still got my US Army driving license. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Because we knew we'd be probably driving vehicles, and um, yeah, I mean, and and um, it was uh, it was it was a bit of a baptism by fire, you know, working mm. with Fred because Fred, um, as you know, um, uh, used to teach law, and he didn't kind of come up through the ranks, so to speak, and just you know decided to uh, to uh, to to make films when he did the Follies. I think he he I think David Maisel showed him how to work the Nagra mm -hmm. um, and um, and he just set off and you know he he, he learnt kind of on the job really and same with editing um, which because in those days would have probably been on a moviola um, mm -hmm. so um, yeah it was uh, you know and, and I soon learned that Fred would be the only director that I'd work with who wouldn't say turn over or cut mm. I just had to keep you know, keep my keep on my toes and be alert. And and if Fred, right. you know, I see Fred going forward, and he was obviously recording sound. I knew that I'd have to, you know, to to start shooting. Um, 
and then when um you know i have to you know keep an eye on him and then when he might see him sort of walk away or something i realized okay, okay we've we finished shooting that sequence that's, that's, that's wild that uh you think he hadn't seen any of your work you know i, I was really interested in trying to dig up some some of your pre-weissman stuff the the best I was able to come across was something called the Kyrgyz of Afghanistan, yeah. yeah. Um, which I thought, if Fred had seen it, might have really resonated with him as as a, a you know resume or CV for you because yeah. it's there's so much there in terms of you know shooting not only interviews but but kind of uh, the quotidian daily activities, but also kind of extraordinary uh events like you know river crossings with all yeah. these uh livestock and stuff yeah. um but you know it, it it seemed like you would have been kind of an easy plug and play uh choice for for his work um but just just i guess thinking about that first experience on maneuver you know when we've discussed that film way back when you know i it was impressed upon me i think you, and feel free to disagree but uh it seemed like you were you were announcing yourself to some degree you know you were you were cramming yourself uh kind of underneath tanks you know uh you nearly get uh your lens smashed by a cargo pallet uh that's coming off a plane you know there's some pretty dynamic work um of shooting like a live band performance um did did you feel the need to sort of prove your mettle uh to fred on on that well first yeah i mean it's it's kind of the, the style that I, I i i used to shoot anyway um a little bit of risk taking and you'd sort of go go for stuff and um uh hope that it's going to turn out okay like filming in low light conditions because it was on black and white we're shooting black and white um but i remember once when um i think fred was horrified when i because in those days it was uh, i eventually uh, uh changed over to using an art on film camera mm -hmm. uh but i was using an eclair and when they were unloading the um the tanks that had been in storage um i just thought oh, I'll, you know i'll get an interesting shot and i, I checked beforehand the clearance underneath <laughs> and i just sort of stuck the camera on the ground and the tank <laughs> drove over it and fred was horrified it's going to be you know we're going to have to send back for another camera but I, I i was very careful and i knew that it would clear you know the uh, the tank would clear it, and he's 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 frequently said that that was the moment. Then he realised that um, you know I was um, going to be part of the team. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, you know, at that point, I had no idea that he was going to ask me to do another film. You know, the next right. year, um, huh. model I think was the next one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was um, you know we were uh, yeah, I mean, it was good. It was good fun, and but most of the time. I was in one tank when we were riding around the country, German countryside, and Fred would be in another tank. So, you know, I mean, he was just stuck underneath, plugged into the radio. He just wanted to record all the radio messages. So I was, you know, I was sort of sitting on top of a turret, you know, and the mm. commanders, you know, looking wow. out from where the commander um, usually uh, um, sat. And I was just sort of filming, you know, the countryside, you know, the shots, I mean, roll after roll. Um, and um and then we'd um uh, we'd stop for the night and um set up a the bivouac and um sleep by the side of the tank um mm. and ollie who was the camera assistant used to have to charge off he had a a, a u.s army vehicle and he'd have to knock on the door of the nearest farm to, to charge the batteries 
Oh, so you wow. leave the batteries overnight. And then the next day, because the tanks had moved off to some other forest, and Ollie used to, you know, try and locate us and, and actually got captured once by the by the orange <laughs> force. They didn't believe him when he said we're doing it. I'm doing a film for PBS. You know? <laughs> Uh, but uh, but Ollie had been working with Fred. Uh, he was a good friend of Fred's. He is a good friend of Fred's um, for several years beforehand. Um, okay. But he did um, he did another couple of films before he started working with another uh, American camera assistant. Hmm. Um, but I, I was also conscious of the fact that that uh, Bill and both Bill and Richard um, were you know from North America and. Understood the culture, the American culture, as did John Marshall, um, far more than I. I mean, I'm I'm mm-hmm. British, you know, live in London, um, so that was um, that was. Uh, I mean, throughout my career with Fred, it's always been you know, incredibly fascinating and interesting seeing the the American culture and the vast country and the different, you know, working in different um, parts of the country, different parts of the states. Yeah, he's talked about how, like, uh, one of the things that's even surprised him as an American um, doing these films is is the amount of times he finds, like, religion in, in these spaces. Um, is that something, or are there other things that really have stuck out to you, like, as somebody who's not American? Yeah, um, it's it's obviously something that's always... It's always kind of fascinated him. And whenever we've arrived in a new town, he's always made a note, oh, there's another church there. <laughs> and the other thing as well is, oh, there's a graveyard. We've got a film yeah. there. Yeah. Now, yeah. So every time we used to see a, a cemetery, a graveyard, yeah, yeah. you know, he'd get out his notebook and jot it down, you know, cemetery on Third Third Avenue or whatever yeah. it is in Monrovia or, or wherever. Canal Zone, yeah. But he's, um, yeah, he's... He, you're right. He's always had a fascination with religion. Um, so so uh, one of the things that that uh, you were kind of t- made me think about this when you're talking about all doing all this stuff in 79, uh, since you guys have aged, you know, 45 years together, just logistically, do you think that that his approach to, to filmmaking has changed in order to adapt to being less mobile with age. Like I can't imagine you guys doing all of those things now uh, just <laughs> at his age, but. Yeah. You've got a point there. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. As you obviously, you know that I'm, you know, quite a few years younger than Fred, mm-hmm. um, but um, and Fred's now 93, 93 on January the 1st. Um, and also filming with uh, with an eclair, and also filming with um, uh, the Arton. They're they're really lightweight, small cameras. Um, but then um, I think it was um, Crazy Horse. Um, we went on to Digibeta, mm-hmm. but it was it was the opportunity to shoot on Digibeta, and because they they're heavy cameras, they'd like twice the weight of an Arton. Um, and then after that, digital, and they are heavy cameras. Um, but I remember um, uh, Fred was um, being interviewed by somebody, and and they made a comment about, "We noticed you're using the tripod more these days," <laughs> which made me laugh because. I, and one, the great thing about working with Fred is, I mean, he's the ideal director for a cinematographer, cinematographer to work for. Because he leaves everything up to me, he leaves up the choice of camera, uh, whether I go handheld, 
where I put the tripod, if I use the tripod. Um, obviously, when we were shooting on on, on sixteen mil, you know, I, I decide what um, what film stock to order beforehand, knowing places that we're going to be filming. Um, so, I mean, he, he's great from that point of view. He gives me a tremendous amount of freedom. But the no amount of times that I'd say, um, it's really dark, Fred. Um, and I'd hold up the light meter. And I'd say, look, um, the needle's hardly moving. And he'd then say, well, if you're saying nothing's going to come out, uh, then we won't shoot it. And I'd say, well, of course, you know, it's Kodak stock. I mean, something's going to be there. And also you can choreograph yourself so that you can shoot silhouette if the light's dropped that much. Well, you've got a window or, or skyline and then he'd say look i'll tell you he said if it's um if it if it doesn't look any good i won't use it and i said well you've said this before fred and he, <laughs> he said well no one's complaining i said look i've got my my cinematographer colleagues you know they're going to look at it and they say what's john baby doing it's grainy it's underlit it's flat and he said well no one's ever complained to me um <laughs> this is what fred says yeah. so obviously we shoot it and it's very rare that um that something doesn't come out but obviously um i mean in those early days the the lenses that i'd have would be an Ingenieur 12 to 120 and a 10 mil wide lens prime lens um but these days you know i carry a full set of uh, zeiss super speeds and um lots of different lenses long lenses and when i got to know more um, in fact when fred started um showing his films theatrically i realized that i did have to take more care mm. um in the quality um, interesting uh so i you know that's uh, and obviously getting more experienced um i you know always try and position myself so that i had good natural light coming in mm. um and I tr try and tweak the lights beforehand, turn off overhead fluorescence, um, adjust the shutters or, or the, uh, the blinds just to get more daylight um, to come in. Um, How does but, that play um, with like uh, when you're in like National Gallery, which is like, you know, where lighting is so important? Is it is yeah. is it like all the work's been done for you because of the, of the curation or is it just add a different set of challenges? That's Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I... I um, I mean, obviously, with National Gallery, I, I did feel that I had a huge responsibility to try and replicate the colours of the paintings. I mean, all these uh, extraordinary pictures um, and to try and accurately um, reproduce, you know, reproduce the colours. And, uh, and of course, there would be some days, I mean, there's an old part of the National Gallery where there's a lot of natural daylight that comes through the ceiling. Uh, and then there's the Sainsbury's wing. Uh, which is a, a more modern wing with LED lighting. And what would happen during the day is if the light level dropped, they'd kick in. Um, so what I what I did beforehand was, was the, the only time that I've ever had an opportunity of doing that was to shoot a test, um, <laughs> shoot a camera test on three different cameras. Mm. Um, and then we... Um, that I went to Paris and we started using uh, um, Gilles Granier from uh, mm -hmm. a company called Le Labo to uh, to do the grading, and um, uh, we looked at we looked at all the stuff and we realised that the red actually was better than the Arri Alexa or the um, uh, what else did I I think I, I used uh, Digibeta camera, or, uh, but we realised that the red the red Epic I think it was was the was the best camera reproduced the colours more accurately. Um, but uh, the other thing that I did was um, whenever we went into another gallery, I'd have a colour chart. So I'd do a little, 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 you know, 
shed a mm -hmm. few frames. Um, and also, Gilles happened to come over to Paris, to London, um, oh, wow. and we met up, and um, we had a you know we had a walk around uh, uh, the gallery because you know I, I'd said to him how how much I wanted to try and reproduce the colours as accurately as possible, um, and he agreed. So uh, so that's what uh, that's what uh, that's what we did. But um, yeah, I mean there was lots of different lighting. There was tungsten lighting. There was daylight, um, and there was sometimes a mixture of both, which would produce kind of different colours on different days um, of the Rembrandts or whatever right. it was where we were filming. Um, yeah. And then in the the other thing that was was quite challenging was um, in the Sainsbury's wing, the lights were very very high, so you've got these the, you've got the picture frames, and very often there'd be a shadow underneath mm. the top of the picture mm. frame. And the other thing that Fred was was very particular about is he wanted me to shoot the pictures, the wide shots of the pictures, without the frame, without the picture frame, mm -hmm. and um, uh, that was you know that was difficult, you know. And I said, <laughs> well, I can't film the whole thing because <laughs> yeah, yeah. by nine, you know. And Fred was saying, well, what if you change lenses, you know? And I said, well, it's closer or wider. So I said, what I can do is make it a little bit different and maybe shoot from underneath. And he said, well, why don't we do that? Cool. Um, so I spent hours, days, in fact, um, doing cutaways, um, detailed cutaways of the yeah. of the, of the paintings. Um, hundreds and hundreds of shots um but it was it was great you know it was a great film to work on and um it was you know i learned a lot um and i mean the rest of, have you seen the film oh yeah oh yeah yeah Any yeah uh, i mean some of the secret i mean the restoration you know the guy the the carpenter you know kind mm -hmm, of um, mm -hmm. you know it was it was fascinating and i yeah. you know, that was and fred would just encourage and allow me to do my thing so i'd just get all the shots i'd get the close-ups the you know, the wide shots and, uh, you know, all the cutaways. Fred can never have enough cutaways. He's yeah, always yeah. asking me, have I got enough cutaways? Yeah, I remember you saying in an interview, what you'll say you got a certain amount and he'll always say uh, <laughs> he could use more. Yeah, yeah, I'd say, he'd say, well, uh, you know, I said, uh, he'd sort of, when he put his finger up to, you know, I I thought, hey, here it comes. Um, he said, well, how many have you got? And I, yeah, I said in the interviews, I said, oh, I've got, you know, 28 and he said well i need 35 <laughs> and the next day he'd say have you got enough cutaways i said yeah i got loads yeah, about how many and i said i've got 43 and he said oh, i need 58 <laughs> so he's never ever satisfied uh, and um and the other thing is well over the years um um i mean cutaways are actually not really cutaways they're an integral part of the sequence right yes for sure. um because it you know it it tells you who's there who's in the you know the meeting or you know, whatever it is mm -hmm. and the thing that i noticed and the friend never said it to me and i don't even know whether he re well I, i'm sure he probably realized it himself but um i'd get a cutaway you know a bit close up of somebody or two shot and they'd just be sitting there listening to <laughs> you know the, the leader but it was only when the person that i'm filming sort of does that or that's the only bit that Fred would use. And if you look at the huh. cutaways, there's always huh. a little niche or a snitch or, a, you know, or someone sort of slightly moving. And that's the point that he's waiting for. And of course, um, you know, when you're shooting on film, you know, you've got 10 minutes in the magazine. 
So you couldn't leave the camera running for too long, you know, because you just burn up too much film stock. But with digital, obviously, you can, yeah. you know, you can just let the camera run. So very often, if I do a cutaway of a person, I'd let the I'd let the shot run for maybe a minute or two, mm. and then I'd get that sort of, you know, a little bit of movement or a, you know, head scratch or something. Yeah, it's really something interesting. Like that. Why do you think that is? You have to ask Red. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just he likes that moment, and and it's um. You know, I mean, he's. I mean, do do you do you not think that Fred's really an anthropologist? <laughs> Go ahead. We've asked I mean, him he's about interested him. In, yeah. in human behavior. Um, he, he wouldn't describe himself that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and that's why we're able to, you know, because we shoot so much stock and because we spend such a lot of time filming um, with a very small crew. Initially, obviously, people are going to be aware of us. You know, film crew coming in. Yeah. Um, but they kind of get bored. You know, most people will get bored, but I can always tell, I can always tell I have a, you know, having done so, so many um, anthropological films and uh, wildlife films and stuff, yeah. you can always tell when someone is aware of your presence. And uh, I remember um, there was one um, senior management figure at, um, at the New York Public Library, um, and he features quite a lot in the, in the film and he was pretty laid back and relaxed and stuff and um but i knew that he was aware of the camera because if i'd be filming somebody else and he'd be on my right and then he'd start talking and i'd just sort of move the camera around and as i move the camera around i'd see him take his glasses off so that was confirmation <laughs> <laughs> that was confirmation that he you know he was a, he was very aware of the camera. Yeah, yeah. People like that. And, and, um, Interesting. Sometimes I, you know, when I'm filming in an auditorium or in a hall or a public meeting or something, you know, you'll see some people there, and and when they see the camera, it's like there's that, and you know that they're mm -hmm. they don't want to be filmed. And and of course, we always respect that. If somebody doesn't want to be filmed, um, I can always frame them out. You, you had mentioned, I guess, uh, going off of that, you know, as the, the key to being unobtrusive and, and, you know, filming as candidly as possible is um, your your body language and a way of conducting yourself. Can you just yeah. kind of expand upon that a little? You know, what what kind of language and conduct is, is most successful, do you find? Um. Yeah, I mean, what what I always try and do is I stay, I try and stay out the limelight, and I try and I try and when I set the camera up or when I'm filming, I try not to impose myself too much um, on the meeting, the event, or whatever it is, and I'll try and snuck over to the side and I'll try and stay out of direct light. Um, and uh, that was particularly the case when I was at the National Gallery and um, getting cutaways of people looking at the paintings and situations like that. Um, and just sort of moving around and i'd also try and actually keep fred and my assistant away from where i am and quite often i take the map box off the camera you know the lens hood so that again you know you're not mm -hmm. making your presence felt too much um and and just kind of moving around slowly and um and not talking um I mean, fred and i very rarely talk I mean, we give you know Give the old eye look and um because mm -hmm. a, a point we'd reach a point where i knew that i'd have to get a wide shot because because there's a there's a there's a whole bunch of shots that i need to get i need to get cutaways i need to get obviously film the master shot i need to get two shots three shots shots from behind 
whoever's speaking so that Fred can, you know, edit it. Um, um, and um, that's, you know, that's always something that I, 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 I'm conscious of, of, of trying to do. So, you know, I'll give Fred the eye and just, and I'll just say, I've got to, you know, and that means I've got to get a wide shot. So get out of the way, sort of thing. Um, and sometimes he'd just hold a finger up and say, I'm just, there's some really interesting dialogue here. I just want to get this. And I'd say, fine, okay. Um, and then he'd move out and I, you know, because he'd always say, did you get, afterwards he'd say, did you get enough wide shots? And I'd say, I think so. Um, and that's why, you know, we'd look at, um, we'd look at rushes whenever we could. Yeah. Um, but I mean, when we were shooting on film, we didn't see the rushes until, you know, maybe five or six days after we shot the sequence mm. and oh, moved okay. on something else, because <laughs> uh, they, you know, the rushes would be sent back to, to do art, um, and then it was only mute. We'd only see the mute, and right. oh wow, with, with Fred, um, um, Fred had an old projector, Bell and Howe projector, that was uh, it certainly wasn't a four K. It was probably about half <laughs> K. Um, <laughs> So, you know, and I'd hang a sheet up on the wall or something or other, and we'd get the, awesome. you know, get the projector set up, and quite often we'd have to rewind, you know, we'd get a 1,200-foot roll, um, and then, you know, we'd, we'd start to look at it. And because I, I was really more interested in looking at the technical side to see whether, you know, some of the night sequences are working and whether I need to shoot it in a different way mm -hmm. if we're going to go and repeat sort of similar, similar things. Um, and Fred would look at it and he'd say, uh, I need more wide shots here. And I'd just look, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, let's wait until the next reel comes up. <laughs> and, yeah, oh, um, sure. yeah, I mean, so, you know, but obviously this is, you know, when we were, um, became good friends and we could have yeah, <laughs> good, uh, good discussion. But no, I mean, it's, it's always been a, you know, I mean, it's always been an incredible um, privilege working with Fred. And I realized how lucky I am. And it was only, you know, kind of, Really being in the right place at the right time at AKAs, and Bill deciding that he wanted to start directing more, uh, that he suggested me because he could have suggested you know a whole bunch of other other cameramen at that sure. time, who probably would have made a better job than me. No, I, I don't know about <laughs> I that. that. Yeah, <laughs> you, you said that you you can recall every shot. Is that true, or like almost? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can. I mean, I can remember. I can remember a lot. Yeah, I mean, I can, you know, when you, when I look back and, and I can remember um, stuff that I don't, and of course the other thing as well, is, I don't know whether you've um, read any of the interviews that I've done, but 97%, 96% of the footage that I shoot ends up on the cutting room floor. Right. And um, I was, uh, um, I mentioned Dick Pope, Dick Pope um, and Roger Deakins um, had a, right. um, Part, you know, they they work for a small company like AKAs in London. And a year or two ago, I was talking to Roger Deakins. Roger is a great fan of Fred's as well. Oh wow! And um, um, I, I was saying to him, um, we've also way back, you know, we worked on um, films yeah, together. Uh, there was like a rockabilly documentary. Yeah, yeah, like Blue Suede Shoes. Yeah, Blue Suede Shoes. Yeah, Dick right. was one yeah, of the operators yeah. okay, on that. Yeah. Oh wow! Um, cool. Uh, so, um, but I mean, um, uh, Dick and Roger are close buddies. I mean, I, you know, I mean, Dick is a is a good good friend of mine. I don't know Roger so well, but we have collaborated, and he's obviously aware of of, of my work. But I said to him, you know, it's so frustrating, you know, working for Fred, and 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 I have to, you know, really kind of um, 
keep my enthusiasm up, although I know that know that 96% of the material is going to end up on the cranium room floor. And he looked at me and he said, what cinematographer in the world wouldn't <laughs> jump at the opportunity of working for Fred Wiseman? And I thought, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe you've got a point. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, having dinner with Fred is very different from actually being on set with Fred. Uh, <laughs> sure. Because uh, and Fred admit, admits, you know, he, he, you know, that he's uh, compulsive, relentless and obsessive. Mm-hmm. And the mo- moment that we that we start filming, you know, I mean, we just film all the way through, you know, he's very reluctant to uh, to miss anything. Um, yeah. And um, that's um, that, you know, you sort of get used to it. And uh, you know, but I mean, we have a, we have a good understanding. And I'll say, Fred, it's it, we've been working since six o'clock this morning. It's now three o'clock in the afternoon and we haven't had lunch yet. You know, and they say, well, if you're if you're too tired, just tell me. And, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say, Fred, you tell, you know, knowing that Fred's you know, 20 years older than me or whatever. Um, I just say, no, Fred, you tell me when you're too tired and we'll stop. <laughs> and because he never will. I mean, he right. just works himself, you know, until he's almost at the point of collapsing, wow. really. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then he does the power nap thing. Um, it, but he's so encyclopedic. Like, you know, when you listen to an interviewer, you talk to him, like he just remembers everything. And I always thought that that was... You know, I'm sure a lot of it is because of, uh, you know, sitting and editing for eight months or whatever. But um, it's kind of shocking to, to me that that you also have that encyclopedic uh, memory, which is good because we're gonna, we want to ask you about some specific stuff uh, later on. <laughs> Frankly, but... <laughs> I... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, well, give it give it a go. I mean, I can't promise <laughs> that I'll, I'll do that. But yeah, I mean, I do. I, yeah, I mean, I do. I do remember the you know the different places that I've been to and the impact that it had on me as well and, and mm, um, mm-hmm. you know it was it was just uh, amazing you know fantastic some of the um, some of the um, opportunities that uh, that I've had and the experiences that I've had uh, with Fred and um, um, well you you were kind of going off of uh, this this talk of um, you know the uh, cutaways as you were calling them. Uh, and you talked about this uh, specific, you know, waiting for body movement type thing. Um, you know, it's it's hard not to notice that so many of those shots uh, are like often people doing labor, <clears throat> whether it's, you know, snowplow in Aspen or uh, the trash collector in near death, um, cleanup scenes in Central Park. Uh, is that also something that is always like that he's always looking out for and and, and making sure that you catch? He certainly does. <laughs> He's always looking out for the janitor. I mean, filming the yeah, janitor yeah. at six o'clock in the morning, emptying the garbage, as in as it is uh, as important as filming the mayor of Boston. You know. Having a- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he wants to, you know. I mean, he's because you know that obviously there's no narration, no interviews, no commentary, um, and really. Um, he wants to set the scene. There's no graphics as well saying, you know, this is day three or this is the janitor or whatever. Um, so, well, well, you know, uh, well, I mean, we'll literally be in the car sometimes or just packing up. Um, and if he sees the janitor or the cleaning people coming in, um, <laughs> it's like, you know, Fred gets very, very excited, you know, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'll, you know, I'll look at Jim or my assistant yeah. and we'll give it, you know, it's like eight o'clock at night, we want to have dinner and we'll give each other a withering look and, uh, 
you know, the janitor's <laughs> just arrived, the cleaning people, they're going to change the flowers over, you know, in vases, or they're going to polish the floor. <laughs> yeah. um, and in fact, there's a, oh. I think the opening shot in National Gallery is a guy polishing the floor. Mm -hmm. and we were li we literally arrived in the morning to film something completely different. And I saw this guy through the doors, you know, and Fred yeah. was, I think, in another room. Um, and I just, you know, just got the camera and started <laughs> filming it. Because um, yeah. I knew that it would um, would be something that Fred would like. So, you know, you get the wide shot and then you get the close-up of the, the polishing thing going through frame uh, yeah. and then the close-up of his face, you know. And, and of course, that's, you know, that actually ended up as an opening, yeah. opening shot. Wow. Yeah, that, that must have made you... <laughs> so, so a lot of it is luck you know and just yeah. taking the opportunities and um just going for it um and, yeah. and that's that's the great thing about fred is that he absolutely encourages me to do that and he also likes um the abstract uh, shots you know mm. the reflections the shadows mm -hmm. um you know if there's a if there's a, a puddle in the road you know he you know it's like get the car <laughs> coming and get someone <laughs> stepping into it or <laughs> awesome little little things like that and i love shooting it as well so mm -hmm. um yeah showed it's shooting that sort of abstract stuff and um just sort of um collecting you know literally hundreds and hundreds of shots so yeah but 97 percent ends up on the cutting room floor i mean it's it sounds like the answer is yes but but those those you know custodial workers something we notice a lot is shots of other people filming you know on the scene where you are yeah. you know it's it sounds like through the accumulation of making these films you you could sort of anticipate and and you have an eye out for for certain things that you know fred has an interest in yeah but you've got to remember fred's got a great sense of humor i mean the films are comedies Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Behavior. Um, yeah. Although there's obviously there are very serious aspects to, you know, what we do. But um, but I mean, Fred, has, he's, he's got a great sense of humor. I mean, he's got such a um, I mean, a sense of humor. Sometimes he'll see he'll see a joke in something that nobody else will ever mm -hmm. see. You know, um, and there are, you know, I don't want to go into too many details, but there are things that I've filmed. Um, and then when we looked at rushes, Fred has fallen off his chair. Because <laughs> he, you know, because obviously when I'm shooting something, you know, the composition and framing is not what he, you know, he's standing yeah. over. Yeah, well, yeah, so yeah. Looking at it, you know, in a sort of wide angle, if you like. But I'm getting all the details and the close-ups and the reactions. Um, so, um, and that's always fun. Uh, and uh, yeah. You know, that, you know, and I say, you know, because obviously we don't see all the rushes at all. At the end of the film, when, when, when we finish, when we're, when we're when we're saying our goodbyes and I'm heading off to the airport, um, uh, Fred will uh, and it'll be very open. He'll 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 say to me, "Thank you very much," and I apologise for all my nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll say to him, "I said, well, you know, we're, we're speak when you start looking at rushes because because we've worked so in, intensely for you know six eight weeks, ten weeks sometimes." Um, he'll just go off and. Um, you know, go skiing or, you know, take take a break for a couple of weeks. And then he'll start um, looking at the rushes uh, and he'll spend up to, um, you know, a month or two months, you know, just looking at rushes. And But of course, they have, they have to be sunk up. So he has an assistant who will sync everything up because he, he obviously wants to watch rushes, you know, with, with sound. Um, and I always say to him, you're going to have a few surprises, some nice surprises. <laughs> 
And then there'd be sometimes there'd be sequences that we've shot that he's got high hopes about. And I say, I'm not sure it was a bit flat. Um, and then there'd be other times when, you know, it's the opposite. Um, and we think that something was not particularly good. But then when Fred gets in the cutting room, he's pleasantly surprised. And, um, you know, that'll, uh, that'll end up in the film. But I've, I've given, I gave up probably about 20 years ago saying, why don't you make short films? <laughs> why do they have to be six hours long sometimes or four hours long? You know, why don't you do what most people do, make a 90-minute film? And um, and I'll say, uh, you know, a lot more people will watch your films than <laughs> shorter. And he'll, he'll just say, and it's something to be that I greatly admire, he won't make a film um, that he doesn't like, that he doesn't approve of. He's Gross. not making yeah. it for an audience. And he won't adhere to you know, common, you know, sort of popular TV culture mm -hmm. and uh, with editing and stuff like that. Shots are long and um, sometimes um, I remember when I was filming um, in Boston, there was a beautiful sunset and um, the reflection of the sun and the clouds was on the side of the buildings. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, oh, I've got, to, I've got to get this. So I set the camera up and I'd do one shot and then that the sun went down a little bit and there'd be another reflection. So I'd just slightly recompose and get a slightly wider shot and thinking that Fred will pick out the nicest one. And what does he do? He uses all of them. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shots, you know, like three seconds each, you know, <laughs> so I'll run for about 30 seconds. So I'll do one, then I do the other. You know, yep. and, yeah. Um, yeah. Because he likes the shots. He the one with the great. pink sky. Beautiful yeah, 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 yeah. And it's the same with the, also with the, I mean, it, it's a discussion that we often have, but it's it, they're Fred's films, and unless he's able to edit how he wants to, then he's not going to be satisfied. It's like the um, uh, the National Gallery. You know, I do these beautiful compositions, and yet, and a few people have commented comment to me that he'd only leave it for like three or four seconds. Yeah, I know. Cut, you know, do a close-up. <laughs> and another one, whereas I just want to sort mm -hmm. of just let people take it in. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know. The thinking uh, about the... The sense of humor and also the camera stuff, it, it, it brought to mind a, a model. Of course, there's so many like cameras and model and so many jokes and, you know, like whether it's the mannequins at the party that you shoot in silhouette or the, or the, the documentary, uh, like filming the guy in the shower and then you like have the whole body in frame. Yeah. Good jokes. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah, one, yeah. one, um, one we recently talked about. Or early scene in Andy Aspen Warhol was in with... that shot. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, well, that'll and he was taking photographs of Fred and me <laughs> for the move to the side. Oh, yeah. He had a little, uh, uh wow. Pan, um, little oh, I wonder if those are in an archive somewhere. Yeah. Wow, yeah, interesting. Yeah. What um, were you going to say about Aspen? Well, just the talking about this uh, this uh, humor idea you know oh, yeah. one one scene that we love is the the plastic surgeon uh conference and he's showing all these slides of before and after in profile mm -hmm. meanwhile you're shooting him in profile in pretty much the exact same <laughs> angle as the slides he's showing you know kind of inviting the audience to... i'm glad you noticed but not many people did notice that but there'd be lots of little jokes that i can kind of slit it slip in yeah, um, yeah. Uh, or like the know. painting scene in, in Aspen. I, I assume because there's a there's a great 
joke of like this guy, you know, talking about how great this woman's painting in it is, and then you like pan over and it's just like a, a child's drawing. I know, a sort of letterbox <laughs> or something or other, you know. Uh, and uh, I know, I mean, and of course, the thing is that we have to, we're always incredibly respectful to the people that we're mm -hmm. with and that we're yeah. filming. And I'm not saying this was the case in this particular situation, but I mean, the worst thing is if, you know, if, if we if we catch each other's eyes because we just corpse, you know, <laughs> we'd lose it. You know, we'd have to, we'd have to, you know, and I'd have to, you know, and I'd see Fred was, you know, trying not to laugh. And um, there have been lots and lots of situations. Oh, yeah. um, I remember Can you talk about was, it? Uh, yeah, we were filming a Shakespeare um, sequence in Central Park once, and the uh, the teacher was taking it so seriously. Oh and my god! And he was trying to, and I mean, you know, I mean, it was just one of the funniest things that we've ever, you know. I mean, it was to us, it was funny. Um, but um, again, you know, I shot it in a you know respectful. I mean, there's no wise guy stuff of shooting it. I mean, we just no, no, shoot yeah. it straight. Um, yeah. But um, I'm not saying specifically that that one um that one sequence but um but there have been lots of lots of situations where um there's been a great deal of humor and things have been very very you know very very funny but um and we just you know sometimes we just lose it and, and yeah. you know we just because uh, it's um because we do have a similar sense of humor yeah yeah aspects. well that, so so but that's sort of you know uh visual cinema cinema cinematographic humor you know you're that's that's Davy. That's pure Davy, right? Like you're. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I love doing yeah, it. And what yeah. I mean, the thing the thing that I have to remember is that Fred encourages me. It's like filming yeah. in low light, you know. And Fred will say, "Well, if you're saying nothing's going to come out, don't shoot it." And I say, "Well, a yeah. customer is going to, you know." So we have yeah. this kind of game of ping pong, you know. Um, yeah. And um, and it's the same with, um, you know, just because we shoot so much material. I mean, to maintain, you know, to make it more interesting for me. I mean, there's nothing worse actually than. I mean, some of the some of the meetings that we do. I mean, for a cinematographer, it's not very stimulating, you know. And you have to maintain, you know, kind of your interest in what's going on, you know. And I'll, you know, I'll look at my assistant or I'll I'll, I'll look at Fred because he's so engrossed with what's being said, <laughs> you know. And um, you know, and I think, oh God, we've been filming this for an hour and a half, and they're going over the same thing over and over again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> before uh before we i forget because we were talking about janitors and stuff one shot that um i've talked with fred about uh that i i would be remiss if i didn't ask you about is the garbage truck in city hall is this one of those moments where you <laughs> where you looked at each other uh uh like that we couldn't believe our luck <laughs> because it was um it was in a, um, a kind of wealthy um, neighborhood. I mean, the other thing was it was so cold. It was like oh, minus, you know, whatever. Yeah. And Fred was um, had been trying for days and days and days to get um, the garbage guys. Because, you know, the, the thing is, you've got, you know, it's, um, he just wanted to, you know, he loves the, the action of the mechanical action of this thing chewing up um, Stuff, but but what he was initially interested in is the garbage cans being emptied, you know, and just mm. putting together a whole series of shots. So when this barbecue thing comes up, you know, we it's like we can't believe our luck. You know, there's this beautiful barbecue that's being <laughs> smashed up, and 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 uh, um, 
So uh, yeah, I mean we uh, yeah, I mean I, I I do remember that and and running up, I mean us running after the truck, you know, because those guys weren't going to hang around. No. And sort of move down the road, <laughs> move down the road, and uh, I'm trying to get a shot yeah. of the guy's hand, you know, pulling the lever, the driver, um, somebody picking up a bin, um, the wide shot. Um, but I yeah, I mean I do remember the you know the mattresses that were going in the yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I said to said to Fred, what you know, what what is this? And he said, well, it was at a it was the end of term, I think. And of course, um, a lot of those kids come, you know, who mm. were students there, come from wealthy wealthy families, right? So they can afford all that, you know, kind of luxury <laughs> stuff, you know, the yeah. the barbecue. And it's nothing to them to sort of right. to spend, you know, to trash. You know, they, we haven't got room to store the uh, yeah. that barbecue. Okay, so it costs six hundred bucks. Um, but you know, there's not enough room. We're just putting it out for the trash man. Um, Incredible. Yeah. yeah. But I, um, I assume that you know at least the metal gets recycled. I don't know. But I don't um, know if that's a. But fair it was assumption. just sort of it was just being able to get you know, and I, I you know, sort of obviously had to be a bit careful, but um, getting as close as I can, yeah, yeah. making um, making those shots look as interesting as possible. As opposed to just sort of standing back and mm -hmm. sort of filming, you know, just doing it in wide shot and then just pushing in on the zoom. So mm -hmm. I try and get uh, the good angles. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I do remember that it was very, very cold that day. Yeah, you don't want to catch any uh, grill shrapnel. But, yeah, uh, no, yeah, exactly. may, may, maybe a bit of a bit of that uh, early under the tank uh, <laughs> attitude you were talking yeah. about. But yeah. that that uh, that Shakespeare scene in in Central Park, I think, is a really good example of something we wanted to ask you about. About okay. when you're filming these these conversational scenes, um, you know that that one. There's a student who's reading this dialogue. Uh, but you're you're pretty much the entire scene you're holding on the instructor even if he's not talking and one one of the kind of most dynamic uh scenes we we think in this body of work that we've encountered so far is in death the the kind of middle 45 minutes with peter and his family um you have these four figures having this really impassioned you know detailed conversation about all kinds of things um and you know fred's job is a little easier there he just has to kind of move the mic to whoever's talking your job seems a lot more uh considered and nuanced because you're not always filming the person who's talking you know oftentimes you're filming somebody listening you're filming someone's reaction Principal, to some, yeah. something that's being said about them you know so in, in the moment you know how are you sort of navigating these dynamics of where to point the camera and, and who to focus on well, it's kind of instinctive, but the thing is that obviously we were shooting on film, so you know the magazine is only going to last for ten minutes, and it could well be that you know when I'm getting these reaction shots or cutaways, it's because I'm changing the mag, um, yeah. and um, you know I'm obviously keeping an eye on Fred as well because in those days um, he would record, and he was using an Agra, and he'd use the eight one five Sennheiser. You know, so it's a directional mic, but he'd need to get close because mm -hmm. of background noise and stuff like that. So I'd have to, I'd have to accommodate him from, um, in the in the framing. Um, so I, you know, I'd have to sometimes. I mean, sometimes he'd actually stand in front of me, and I'd have to move around to the side, or I'd sort of get a re get get the reaction. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, so it was it's 
you know, it's you just make you know you just make your mind up on the spur of the moment, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, because um, you never know what someone's about to say. Um, you know, who's going to interject? Um, but I mean, obviously, that was a sequence that particularly interested Fred because he's yeah. very interested in literature, um, and um, as well as the dynamics of the of the teacher and the students. Um, um, but uh, sorry, I've lost the thread now. Um, That's okay. Asking, well, can you just you you said that uh, keeping on that series, you you've said that Blind is your favorite film that you've shot, or maybe just Wiseman's. But can you talk a little bit about why Blind? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was uh, yeah. Originally, when we when we started off, um, I mean, I, there, there's just a couple of sequences in Blind that uh, I mean. First of all, I, I should say that I have a nephew who's blind. Oh wow! It was kind of the same age as those kids. Yeah, okay. and. Um, I loved being in Alabama, you know, in the deep south. I hadn't really spent a lot of time. I'd done a lot of work in on the West Coast and the East Coast, um, Miami, Chicago, but um, but this was kind of in a rural part of the, of the South, and um, the kids were. I mean, particularly the blind kids were um, were absolutely fascinated with me because they thought I was from outer space. I mean, because I spoke in such a way, oh, yeah. <laughs> accent. And most of those kids had never been out of the state. Yeah, um, And um, they were very, they were very responsive. And I, although usually we try not to, uh, Fred, Fred prefers not to get too close to the subjects so that they're, you know, not too kind of aware of our presence. But I, I just, I did feel duty bound that I had to, to speak to those kids sometimes and explain what I was doing because the way that I'd shoot a lot of those sequences is I'd just pull a chair up by their desk and sit next to them. And you could see they, they were very, very aware of noise. And, you know, if someone was, uh, someone was there and um, there was, uh, you know, I remember there was one little girl that um, who turned around and I could see that she was, she knew that I wasn't another student and I wasn't one of the teachers. And it's like, who is this? What's going on? And I just said, Oh, um, hi, Annabelle, it's John here. Um, and just filming you, and yeah, just the expression on her face. I mean, you know, and <laughs> and they were asking me questions like, "What was the name of the ship that I sailed over from England on? <laughs> <laughs> have I ever met the Duke of Edinburgh? And have I ever met the Beatles?" <laughs> and they were coming out with these questions, and and, um, and there's, I mean, there's some, there's some low. I, I, you know, I just, I just found the whole thing, you know, because these kids. Um, there's a little boy called Jason, and um, oh, yes. we shot a sequence with with him. Yeah. Uh, and again, because of the way that I'm able to to shoot these things, um, is that um, Jason had just was just learning to to type on it with a braille machine, mm -hmm. and he was so he just moved up from kindergarten to first grade, and he was so pleased with himself that he completed this little exercise of um, of, of printing out this uh, this braille, and he asked his teacher whether he could. I don't know whether you've seen the film, but he asked the teacher oh, yes. to go and show his other teacher, and he'd never. And the other teacher says, "Are you sure you can manage it, Jason?" He said, "Yeah." So he's going downstairs and he's putting his hand on the wall. Yeah. Down the stairs, and um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, you know, I found it very emotional. Um, it's it's a virtuoso scene. And at one point, going down the stairs, he stops and turns around. Right. So you yeah. Hear me following. Yeah, yeah. And he he kind of shows that? you, yeah. <laughs> and I said, uh, it's only John, you know. Um, he said, okay. I said, just carry on. <laughs> really well. Uh, obviously, that 
you know, Fred wouldn't include that. Uh, yeah. That uh, oh, okay. That's why there's a cut in that that scene. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I just, I mean, you know, I mean just, I, I know, I shot the whole thing. You know, I just let the, yeah. the, the right, camera, right. Um, that you know, I, was, yeah, sorry. I have to say that that that's like, uh, like the pinnacle moment in Wiseman's career. I think. <laughs> I think it's just such an uh, an incredible uh, passage. Um, it's one of the greatest shots in cinema i would say yeah uh, yeah it's just so well, thank such, you. such a dynamic virtuoso yeah thing. yeah i mean, I mean it, it, you know the thing that i like about it it was just sort of instinctive intuitive and because of the way that fred allows me and gives me the freedom just to you know literally just as soon as jason got up i, I just knew yeah. that i had to follow him mm-hmm. uh, and fred you know obviously followed behind me um did- and we went down and then we followed him back up again and i did another sequence with little girls yeah Mm-hmm. Who's using? Uh, who's learning to use a cane? Mm-hmm. And this is going to. I mean, she was so excited about it. It was like going to transform her life, yeah. and it was going to give her so many opportunities. Um, you know, learning to use a, a white stick. Um, and sometimes um, when we were, you know, Fred had to go off and make a phone call or mm-hmm. do something or meet meet one of the the head teachers. Um, I did take because those kids are kind of growing up in an institution they'd get to go to the talladega 500 you know mm-hmm. but they they were always transported in a bus a big you know school bus so we had this great old american shooting break um and um i just had the opportunity one day of taking a couple of the kids out to the car and i think i said have you ever driven a car before um, and the the kids you know, said mm-hmm. no so what i did was i'd sit them on my lap get them to hold the steering wheel and I put it in gear and, and I'd say, okay, turn it over to the, to your right. right. Uh, and they were just blown away by that. You know, and it was obviously great for me to, yeah. uh, to, to get that little opportunity. Um, well, don't tell Fred though. And never... <laughs> in, in yeah. shooting like, like some of those sequences, you know, um, as viewers, we could kind of feel uh, some some uh, nervousness or suspense. Like, did in the moment, did you feel at all like in in a similar way that you would, you know, close some of that distance that you normally keep with with people you're filming? Did did you feel uh, at all a urge to help, or like uh, were you worried for Jason at all going down those stairs? Um, he was he was doing fine, yeah. But I mean, yeah. obviously, if there's a moment that you feel they're going to fall or hurt themselves or something, then obviously, you know, and being a dad as well of, of a child who was about that age, um, uh, you know, you, you obviously one's very very protective. And um, uh, but I didn't feel the need to do that. And uh, you know, I mean, you just got to let uh, let it happen, and you know, whatever's going to happen. And um, and he was managing pretty well anyway. And there were yeah. other, other people around. And um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the yes, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, we never we never kind of interfere with with what's going on, or um, however however guilty or however much you feel that you want to help somebody. You know, particularly navigate you know navigating. Uh, you know, difficult situations, um, and particularly with those multi-handicapped kids as well. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, there was a great friendship between a white kid mm-hmm. who had some vision and a black kid, uh, African-American kid, who uh, was both deaf and blind. And he used to tell him what's going on by, 
and I never know whether I really was able to capture that properly, but it it was it was it was an extraordinary relationship that these two kids yeah. had, and the trust they had, and the yeah. close bond and friendship. And then there's this this white kid who's who's holding the black yeah. kid's hand and doing all the you know the sign language on his hand and explaining what's going on. And, and they obviously had a very very close friendship and and a very very good communication uh, skills. It was um, it was incredible. It was uh, quite quite an experience. There's also that great uh, sequence. Uh, I, I think it's an adjustment and work of the the blind man crossing the streets, like learning how to cross the streets, which yeah. <clears throat> again, like um, I mean, is just a really cool thing to see. But your handheld work there is just really spectacular and and um, and so steady. <laughs> it's like kind of ridiculous. I was probably leaning against a lamppost or a wall just to get. To <laughs> I mean, that's what I'll do. I mean, it, you know, because when you're working for for hours and hours on end, you know, I will kind of um, position myself so that I can, you know, get a little bit of uh, respite. And, um, you know, sit, you know, if there's a park bench, I'll just sort of sit down and, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of rest my elbow or my knee or, or whatever and take those opportunities. But, I mean, you know, it was obviously, you know, it was 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, yeah, yeah. I was a lot, uh, lot <laughs> and And a light camera. I mean, the Arton camera. I mean, I bought, bought a... My first art on, yeah, because um, I used to use all the equipment from Alan King Associates, and then I eventually um, bought my own camera, uh, and then I upgraded it to um, to the um, XDR Prod, you know, the art on XDR, which had Super 16, but Fred stuck rigidly to uh, 4 by 3 to 133, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, you know, I used to talk to him a lot about, you know, it just looks so much more elegant than widescreen 16 by 9 um so eventually when we shot um when we shot la dance um yeah. i shot that in obviously in super 16 and when we did the grade we did because uh, we i knew that it was going to show theatrically so we did a uh, you know we did 185 um and from then on everything's been 185 i i from- had i had uh was looking at La Danse, I was going to ask you about this because the version I watched was in 5.3. Um, but I know you're... you're Sorry, which film was this? La Danse. Uh, but all the subsequent films were either 16.9 or, or 1.85. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I don't know how you got that, but I mean, okay. it should have been. I mean, because <laughs> I shot it in Super, shot it in super <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> good, good to know that was a, yeah, a yeah, that's weird, weird copy. But, but, weird. but I did want to ask about maybe that. Maybe you had your setting wrong or something. Um, yeah, yeah. Could have gotten a weird file, but um, yeah, that, it was that is theatrically, a, and it did, yeah. it did very well. I mean, it was one of the real successes for Fred theatrically. Well, I wanted to ask. It's a unique film because it's the only one that's in a wide format that's shot on celluloid before yeah. you you switch to to digibeta. You know what? I'm curious what nat, uh, precipitated that that wide format switch before the the digital switch. You know, it's only one film, but it's striking. You know, uh, as you're talking about because it, it's so cinematic. You know, was yeah. it is it PBS? You know uh airing films on tvs that are now in 16.9 or was it uh aesthetic choice no well it was you know i i i I had actually i have to say i had talked to fred for many years about shooting widescreen (laughs) because everything i was shooting was in widescreen you know 16 Mm -hmm. by 9 uh whether it's um you know 35 mil or, or 16 mil um and i was you know also shoot like 
TV ads, you know, commercials and music promos and um, did some, I've uh, done some theatrical work, as, you know, some um, uh, uh, non-fiction, um, uh, sorry, some fiction stuff as well. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, everything is being shown on, on widescreen, but Fred was, um, Fred was very, you know, he just said, well, I, you know, I said, it looks elegant, you know, the 16 by nine. He said, well, I find the four by three elegant. You know, so, <laughs> so we carried on, but you know, um, maybe the steam back that he had was uh standard 16. Oh, interesting. Um, <clears throat> so eventually we went over to when he started um editing on Avid, then it was obviously easy to, yeah, yeah. Uh, right, right, to, uh, to edit on you know, on, on, on widescreen, and um, and also because he gives lots of talks and lectures um he used to take a you know kind of a couple of real roles you know reels of film with the mag stripe you know um so that they could be screened at colleges and universities and then he'd do his lecture his talk um so it was uh it was technology that uh mm -hmm. that fred was more comfortable with uh, and um mm. he just liked the that format you know that um that aspect ratio at least that's what he told me <laughs> In uh, in near death, there's there's a scene where uh, a large number of doctors and nurses are are working on a single patient and during an emergency, and you have this shot from a very high angle of the whole room. Uh, how did how did you get that? Uh, and was that your idea? Did you were you standing on a chair? What what was? Yeah, that? yeah, I was standing on a chair because um, I mean sometimes in situations like that you don't want to kind of go in, you know, <laughs> someone, someone's dying or, you know, or in a bad way and they're trying to save, you know, trying to save someone's life. So so the only way of, I just thought possibly at the moment, I mean, I can't remember specifically why I did that, but I, I, I would imagine that it was just to get, a, just to get a, an overview looking down um, that would encapsulate the scene uh, and also be able to sort of push in and get some close-ups mm -hmm. and also probably to be able to see the patient to get a clear shot of the patient to try and get the shot of the face of, um was it mr cobra oh gosh South american guy who had testicular cancer um very i think sad. it was mr S mr sprout Sprouger? mr spraza spraza yeah 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 when he, he came great. in yeah he was a character poor guy um <laughs> and his wife was and his wife and they when we used to arrive um he'd say hi fred hi john <laughs> oh, how are you doing oh well you know I, I woke up this morning you know but he eventually wow. died of course um, yeah um, yeah can, I, can you just speak more to to the experience of kind of day in day out on on this icu ward you know i i have to imagine it it might have been pretty emotionally taxing just you know doing that, that kind and of physically work. taxing Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was because, um, well, we were, you know, I was, uh, it was shot in, in Boston. So I was living at Fred's house mm. um, in Cambridge at that time. So we'd sort of set off, set off each day. Um, I mean, I did have some experience of, um, from, you know, medical school days um, mm -hmm. of uh, dealing with, uh, dealing with death and dealing with terminally ill people. And, um, uh, but I mean, it was interesting um, because the nurses always wanted to make the patient comfortable. Doctors always wanted to cure them. And the nurses would very often just want to help them, you know, kind of move on. Um, and they were great. I mean, they were very good. So there were some really interesting 
I mean, I haven't seen the film for a long time, but um, I mean, there were some very interesting discussions that the nurses, who were incredibly smart and very um, sympathetic to the patients and to their welfare and and um, the inevitability of what was going to what was going to happen. Um, and in fact, the reason I don't know whether Fred told you, but the reason why he wanted to why he made the film one of the reasons was that um i think he was at a he met uh, one of the doctors who worked in the intensive care unit and the doctor said you know medicine although this was in what 1980 88 yeah um uh he said the, the technology has advanced so so much you can keep somebody alive for a long time and even in a vegetative state so Patients need to know beforehand about DNR, that was the word, do not resuscitate. Mm -hmm. And uh, the doctor felt that the public should be educated about making these decisions. You know, um, if you have a stroke or if you're terminally ill or, you know, that uh, that uh, you should be able to um, to 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 to, uh, you know, to make that living will, which is what we call it here. Um, so. Um, that was yeah that was that was something that was that was interesting but yeah i mean um you know every time we'd arrive um you know somebody else had been brought in you know somebody had had a stroke and i remember there was one guy that came in um and uh, who'd had a stroke and the reason why they realized that he'd had a stroke is because he was driving his car into the into his front yard and he and he hit the left hand side of the of the car against the wall or or the door or something rather and it's because he was blind in one eye didn't realize it huh. um right. and there were just sort of little anecdotes like that that the family would explain to the doctor or the nurse as to what had happened um and um but i mean there were some surprises i mean there was one woman there who they thought was going to die you know very 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 quickly and very soon she had a, a major stroke and then like four months later fred saw her in a supermarket <laughs> Awesome. But that was a rare, you know, that was a, that was an exception. Um, I think I think I'm right in, in saying that. But um, um, but it was yeah. I mean, it was tough. And and um, sometimes on one or two occasions when a patient died, the um, the nurse and a porter would take them to the morgue, which was in the basement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that was tough. I mean, I did anatomy and physiology, obviously, but going down to the morgue. And I mean, they were, you know, the, the, the morgue attendants were straight out of central casting. They really were. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, they, they were always very friendly and they thought, oh, great, you know, we're going to get some uh, help yourself. And you'd look across and you'd see these gurneys, you'd see these corpses, you know, um, that have been brought in and you'd see an arm sticking up or, you know, oh, well. uh, you know, with, with um, but we didn't actually film uh, any of the, uh, um any 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 um, corpses on, on on things we just had them going into the fridge you know right. going into the uh, cold store i think <laughs> as i said i haven't seen the film for a long time but um and then on the last day I, I'm, I'm sure fred told you that um when we went <laughs> when we went down there to say goodbye yeah and yeah. we used to see this guy um in in the in the canteen you know the, the um, not the mortician the um the pathologist um and he was very friendly, and um, and when we left, he said to us, "Okay, guys, see you soon, or <laughs> <laughs> see you around, or something like that." Yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. Um, 
did you did you feel did you feel any relief like moving from from that situation to doing uh central park you know like go i mean it's it feels to us like watching them back to back um you know you're in this very close quarters and then you go out and you seem to be shooting so much open space and wide shots uh it's almost like stepping out of a hospital and taking a walk in the park um did you feel that as as a as a cameraman yeah, but like don't forget, had, there's yeah. quite a bit of time between, you know, I mean, I'd go back to England and I'd shoot an Elvis Costello video, you know, or I'd head <laughs> off to uh, sure. Kalahari, you know, to to film, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. or, or Uganda, you know, mm. to film Jane Goodall and with her chimps and <laughs> yeah, yeah. stuff like that. That reminds uh, me, I, I was going to, before I forget, did you did you talk to, to Elvis Costello when you saw him at the library? So did I... He, when, when you you shoot uh, Elvis Costello in yeah. in Ex Libris, did you talk? Did you talk to him during that? Oh yeah, we yeah we met up. We yeah we shoot the film. We talked about old old times and awesome. um, yeah yeah That's fun. yeah. I did uh, um, quite yeah, a few. Those are fun videos. Yeah. Quite a few videos. Yeah, yeah. There's one of them I did, which was new lace sleeves. I was looking at the other day. It's actually on YouTube, mm -hmm. and I I I'm in mean, Fred's ratio is something like 60 or 70 to one right right yeah yeah right um with that one new lace sleeves um i shot on a i had a few short ends of black and white left over from shoots that i'd done and when we were uh, in the uh, channel islands at the time and i said to the director uh, Bob, i said look i've got some black and white stock here why don't we do another video and we did and i only had a you know some short ends and we shot the I shot the ratio of one and a half to one. <laughs> so I was quite pleased. Amazing. It's one, I think it's one of the best videos that I've shot. Interesting. Black and white, uh, very simple lighting. What uh, going back to Central Park for a minute? What was it like coming up on uh, Francis Ford Coppola and and Vittorio Storaro? Did you yeah, know well, that I, that was I, coming? A friend of mine, yeah, well, a friend of mine worked with Vittorio Storaro, uh, and I I, I mentioned it. Um, a very one of the AKA associates actually. In fact, he got a he got a, an Oscar for doing the sound on Little Buddha, mm -hmm. and he also did The Shining as well. He did lots of lots of lots of films. So, um, so that was fun, and we wanted to get in. And Francis Ford Coppola obviously knew about Fred, so okay. he was very very welcoming. You know, and wanted us on set, and you know, made you know, and and he was explaining to me about the Radio Link focus pulling. That um, you know the the, uh, the focus pull. It was a new technology that was just coming out, and it was a remote. You know, you could adjust mm -hmm. the focus, and he was explaining it to me as if I'd never heard of it. <laughs> and I'd used it like on a on a Tina Turner, not a Tina Turner, um, uh, on a on a video shoot um, a few weeks beforehand. Um, That's funny. But no, he was a, very welcoming, and it was um, and Vittorio Storaro, of course, is uh, you know extraordinary uh, cinematographer, but. Uh, um, and it was just interesting watching the way that he worked and the way that they went from tungsten to daylight and he had all his Italian electricians <laughs> there and they were panning the, the brutes around and they were moving blue gel in front when it went to daylight and it was kind of it was interesting to uh, to watch that. It's such a funny scene because they're like talking about how they can't get anything. They can't like, uh, you know, they've wasted a whole day or whatever. And, and you guys seem to just be kind of whizzing around and capturing yeah. everything. Yeah. 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 Dude, yeah. Well, I met um, actually when Fred got, um, when, when we were at uh, Camera Marge in Poland a couple of years ago, um, 
I met up with that, but Victoria Durrell was there. And oh, cool. uh, we, we kind of had to chat. And also I met up with uh, Mike Aptid. Michael oh, yeah. Aptid, the, the, the Up series. Yeah. Yeah, I worked yes. on, I worked on that as an assistant. Oh, oh. don't say. Uh, at Granada Television, when I very, very, very first started, um, mm. I worked with him on a, as a camera assistant on a drama that was for Granada Television in Manchester. And then um, I think it was 14 Up. Um, yeah. I, I worked on that. Um, yeah. there, there, the uh, Coppola scene is, is a good example, but, you know, pr particularly in model, I thought also, and, and other films with, uh, live performance like the garden and of course, you know, La Danse, um, but you, you're often in these scenes or capturing these moments that are lit for, uh, not for you, uh, but for some other reason, uh, but you seem to be kind of the benefactor or it gives you opportunities as you were talking about earlier with kind of abstraction and shadows. You know, there's one scene and model that's very high contrast, you know, with like a uh, uh, high key light or low key lighting on the model and everything else is kind of darkness and gives you an opportunity to sort of play with it. It seemed like in maybe some moments your camera may have been like directly next to the photographer's camera. It was almost like she was looking at you and we were getting those kind of ad shots, you know, do you, do you find yourself engaging? Uh, are those exciting opportunities rather? When, yes. I mean, I, these... yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I'd, I'd get a whole bunch. Don't forget. I mean, you know, on those, um, on those shoots, I mean, I, I, I mean, when we did the pantyhose commercial, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, I shot, um, I think I shot about 18 or 20 rolls of film that day. And that was when we, you know when we first met, uh, or Fred, or yeah, we met first met Apollonia van Ravenstein. Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then of course the next film that we did is um, Seraphina's Diary. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, we yeah. Have yes. <laughs> how the hell did you get a copy? <laughs> it's it's flown around. <laughs> really? Ah, yeah. yeah. Would love no, to got, hear I'm, about that. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I've got a copy. I didn't think. I thought I was the only one with a copy. <laughs> Uh, it's out there. well there you got to actually do a lot of the lighting right yeah sorry there on that you actually got to do lighting like, yes yes oh I, I completely yeah yeah absolutely you yeah, on sarah frida's diary yeah 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 but, I mean, we didn't have an electrician i did it myself and my the sound record is david very 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 good buddy of mine um and um yeah i mean we you know i, I just uh, hired in a few lamps and just played around with it and uh um, a lot of some of it is I mean, obviously in CDO 54, it's available light. Um, mm -hmm. But there's other stuff. I mean, a lot of a lot of sequences are shot in uh, in Apple's flat in, in her apartment. Oh. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, sort of playing around with light. And there's one sequence in in uh, National Gallery that that I lit. And other times, I mean, in the earlier films, I'd always take around a photo flood, you know, which mm -hmm. is a, a, a regular like. light bulb that you can put in practical lamps. Um, that was oh, okay. like 350, 400 watts. Um, so that would that would give a nice bit of um, fill light. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, on 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 Seraphia's diary, it was an opportunity to uh, to light. But um, yeah, because that was in color. Well, kind of. Go stick, ahead, just just stick in there for a sec um, in that era. But on model, I'm just curious how something like you know, there's there's a, a visual motif throughout the film where you're, you're shooting into mirrors a lot. You know, and throughout 
the body of work, you know, they're each film kind of has its own visual motifs. So like, is that something that arises out of these, these daily rush sessions, you know, is well, it something yeah, that's mean, just your interest and he's like, I like that, you know, do more of that or. Yeah. Well, Fred likes, I mean, he likes reflections. He likes mirror shots. I mean, sometimes you think it's getting a bit passe, you know, you just uh, doing it too much, but you hope that um, Fred's going to edit it uh, in a, you know, in a reasonable way but um but i mean very often there'd be situations like that because the i mean basically the space is very limited so you know quite often you know that's the only the only way that i could shoot something is to is to shoot yeah. a reflection to shoot it through a mirror um uh because of the you know situation that we're in it demanded that um that i shoot it like that so you try you know i try and make it as um as interesting you know the, the composition as interesting as possible um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, and I try and, you know, because freedom, Fred gives me so much freedom, I kind of be selecting composition and framing all the time. Um, yeah. and, um, you know, obviously working like that gives me the opportunity of, uh, you know, of doing that. And, you know, I love operating, I love operating the camera and, uh, um, I always have done. Um, and it gives you that freedom to be able to. To explore and to um, uh, yeah, kind of uh, keeping on with like uh, specific shots and and something that um, I think is really important to Monrovia. Uh, there's a shot early on, you know, like uh, one of the typical shots of the roadside that you have like in in the deaf and blind series a lot, but uh, in Monrovia, and um, I think it's towards the beginning. And there's like uh, help wanted signs for Amazon. Uh, just like on the side of the road. Um, do you recall this? Do you, do you recall thinking like, this is something I want to make sure is in there or is that incidental? Um, I'd always, yeah. I mean, when I'm, yeah, I'm doing those roadside shots, I'd always, you know, I'd, I'd be looking around and and obviously because Fred's doing the sound, you know, I'm, you know, the composition and framing is up to me. So I just try and shoot uh, a wide variety of shots that included uh, all those signs. Um, now, when I work for, you know, someone like Discovery or National Geographic, you know, mm -hmm. they they throw their hands up in horror if I see anything like Amazon or Ford Motor. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, obviously, yeah, those, yeah. you know, um, yeah. in fact, I've I've been on shoots. I remember in South Africa, I was doing a, a Discovery shoot, and the the producer had to, you know, I was shooting an, an interior of a car, and he put some gaffer tape over the over the car's yeah. manufacturer's name because it right. was like Suzuki or something and it was you know the money was coming from Toyota or something yeah, 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 yeah. the shoot um but with Fred you know I mean obviously you know you, that, that's not a concern at all right right uh, nothing's of concern for Fred you know he just gives me total freedom and um the other thing that I used to get worried about initially was um crossing the line you know mm -hmm. when you have right, right to left and left right, to right, right. Well, what, what I'd start I'd start, I remember, I remember starting shooting a sequence in um, National Gallery and I was shooting the guy who was giving a lecture to an audience from right to left. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of changed position and he was backed up to the camera. So mm. I had to go around to the other side <laughs> and I explained to Fred, I said, well, it's going to be odd because if you want to use the beginning of it, he's looking right to left. Uh, and then when we, you know, I have to go around because he's blocking the camera and yeah. then it's going to be, you know, left, right. And he looked That's at me right. as if I was, you know, he said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, it's going to, we're crossing the line. He said, it doesn't worry me. 
So, I mean, all, he, all he'll do is just use that, you know, if it's something that he wants to use in the beginning of that sequence, he'll use it. And then he'll, he'll use a, a cutaway of somebody going like that or looking at, you know. Right, yeah. Go to the, the, those sort of things just don't, don't bother him at all. Hmm. Of course. Uh, was it hard was it hard to shoot something so rigorous and road as, as like domestic violence too or was that like a boring shoot for you where where you're just oh and also there's a great joke in that where that you capture with the with the guy uh kind of fanning himself after after the the, the blonde <laughs> that of course fred loves but um was that like a a, a boring uh experience for you where you're just shooting right like right and left and just uh one room uh, it was depressing you know it was very depressing because we spent a lot of time in um in the shelter right and right. the same stories were coming out time and time again and uh, uh you know it was um and and also you know it was, it was a very very sensitive situation and obviously there were some some women that didn't you know we didn't we couldn't identify where the building was mm -hmm. um uh, because there'd be, you know, partners that would be looking for, you know, find out where their families have gone to. So mm -hmm. they were very, very conscious of that. So I had to be very, very careful about that because one of the things that I always do with Fred, you know, because there's no, this is, uh, you know, a certain particular neighbourhood, uh, this is uh, Spanish Harlem, and, you know, I mean, I'd have to get all the road signs and, and, and so that the viewer would know exactly right. the location, the geography. And that's always something that's very, very important to Fred is to be able to um, mm -hmm. to let the viewer know exactly where we were, and mm -hmm. particularly the different neighbourhoods. Because he, I mean, particularly when we were doing uh, New York Public Library, we filmed in lots and lots of different neighbourhoods yeah. around mm -hmm. New York, and that was very important to Fred too, uh, as it always is with um, like the high school too. You know that we were in Spanish Harlem and um, getting the road signs and the uh, the people that were right. Out, but, um, but yeah, I mean the um, yes, I mean uh, domestic violence was um, well. There were two two films, didn't there? There's, right. um, there's one actually in the shelter mm -hmm. itself, and then there's one with cops. Um, so Trials. we um, yeah. so we shot, and, and it's the same when we did um, Deaf Blind, uh, Multi Handicap. Um, originally, we the idea was just to make one film, um, but Fred felt that he had such a lot of really good material, and we'd shot such a lot of great material that um I, I went back to london and then he looked at some of the stuff and he said i want to make four films so i went back for another four oh, wow. five weeks to to shoot more material is that um, is that the only instance you can recall where you did additional shooting after um uh, no there was another time when we were shooting um uh, ballet the new hmm. york ballet um abt the american ballet theater and um we did all the rehearsals and um, I loved doing that film. That was great. Um, in fact, I still occasionally get emails from the dancers and we finished all the stuff. They were rehearsing to go on the road and uh, we went to Chicago um, and um, we had to stop filming because of um, the restrictions on the theatre that we were filming in. Huh. I mean, we were okay with the dancers, but, you know, there's you know, sort of um, other negotiations that had to be mm -hmm. done with, um, you know, the people, different people that worked in the uh, theatre that we were going to. So it wasn't possible to carry on. So I went back to London 
and then because um, we knew that they were going to go to Greece and Denmark right. on tour, so I went back to New York, and we continued for you know a month or two later, and did a, a little bit more you know the rehearsals and the preparation for flying to Athens, and uh, they had a charter flight, and we um, yeah we, we we went on on tour with them to uh, to Greece and um, and Copenhagen. So that was that was another example. I'm just trying to think um, whether what, oh, yeah, was with um, City Hall. Uh-huh. City Hall. Um, I did three shoots. Oh wow! I'm kidding. Is what do you recall? What the reason for that was? Just logistics, or? Uh yeah. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, they were they were yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um what about yeah, i mean uh, yeah i mean there was yeah i mean there was it, it was um yeah i mean there were there were sort of there were issues that um sure, sure. That, uh, uh, fred had to uh to resolve yeah, yeah. but um mm-hmm. the kind of private you know things yeah, that, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so uh yeah so was at yeah. berkeley more than one true because i feel like at some point they 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 were re- referenced the protest of last year no, I I went, to... um, no at berkeley was just one shoot and it was a long shoot okay and um um, I shot because um, that was on Digi Beta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I shot 250 hours of material. Wow. I remember that because those. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> but it was great. I mean, it was it was. I mean, it's a fantastic university, and I was you know. I mean, we filmed undergrads and postgrads, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it was it was interesting and fascinating. And we stayed in this fantastic house that Fred had rented that overlooked San Francisco Bay. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be um, a professor of physics mm. um, who got the Nobel Prize for inventing the microwave oven. Huh. Uh, but but he, you know, he was in his 90s and he'd retired and he was living in a home. But um, I couldn't understand. I mean, it was fantastic, this this house with um, this beautiful um, library, um, huh. hundreds and hundreds of books, um, similar to Fred's house, actually. Fred's got hundreds of books. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, that was, um, and I had this fantastic room with the balcony overlooking San Francisco Bay. Um, yeah. And I did a lot of filming when we, when we were you know, at, the, at the college um, from, that, from that balcony. And I got you know, an airship going over and I just sort of uh, yeah. set up the camera shots, and the tripod yeah. and, um, and just do, you know, be able to knock off shots at different times of the, of the day, early morning, evening, you know, different uh, lighting uh, situations. I guess I guess just a bit of a personal interest question, but I, I'm I'm in San Francisco and I used to live in Oakland, uh Berkeley adjacent. I'm just curious during that shoot, did did you get around much? I mean, it sounds like you're always working, um, but but curious campus, if you had any yeah. Bay Area uh experiences outside of the Berkeley campus. Uh, no, I mean that you know the thing is that it's um <laughs> everything revolves around working. For yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> and and I you know I always have to when I say to somebody oh, I am going to do my eighth film with Fred in New York and they say oh fantastic you know it's, uh, <laughs> you're going to have to do this as an exhibition here you know, yeah, check that yeah. out um, I mean you know, there there are times obviously when when I can do that but um, but no I mean we're there to work and and um, yeah you know Fred is uh, very very keen not to uh, he never leaves a stone unturned he's uh, yeah. kind of harvests lots and lots of you know, lots of different sequences uh, because he wants to have the choice. So really, the the it's like the research, you know, the shooting, the mm-hmm. making of the film is when he gets in the cutting room. 
No, uh, and I'm no, always very curious to see what he's done. No dinners at Chez Panis uh, or anything. Oh, like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in 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 Paris as well. I mean, we do we do work long hours, but um, we do eat well. I was going to say when you missed the, the, the French restaurant <laughs> when the when the opportunity arises. Sorry, you missed the French restaurant shoot. Yeah, I know, but I did talk to 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 Jim who shot it, and um, they're working pretty much all of the time. And yeah. they used to eat with the uh, the staff at the end of the day. Makes nice. sense. Well. Um, Arlen, did you have a, a another question? Well, uh, just just want to make sure to ask. You know, we we touched upon it earlier when Sean was asking about like religion and churches, but just you know, again, uh, coming from the UK and and spending so much time filming American institutions with Fred, I'm just curious. You know, across your your breadth of experience uh, doing this work, kind of what <laughs> what impressions of uh, our country you've you've gathered and and how. <laughs> How, yeah, how well, I would like to come it, back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maybe New well, York. Incredibly, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, working with Fred, I mean, it just opens up so many opportunities, you know, for me. And although I, you know, I had done quite a few shoots in in America, yeah, um, but mo as I said, mostly on the East Coast or the West Coast and Florida and, and stuff like that. But um, getting to places like Monrovia and Talladega. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's is is um, it's, you know, it's just just uh, been an extraordinary experience. I mean, being British as well, um, and and uh, and and seeing this. So I I I mean, I I I had to renew my. I was um, applying for a special dispensation, to um, to get a to get a visa, a special visa during lockdown, to come and help Fred with the restoration of the oh, National yeah. Archives, the Library of Congress. Um, of all of his films, um, mm -hmm. which been done in New York at uh, Duart Labs, right. and um, um, you know, I had to to I, I didn't actually get a um, I didn't get a waiver, I didn't get a get a visa, mm -hmm. but I I went through all my passports, and I I, I had something like ninety six different trips to the US over wow. not just with Fred. I mean, a lot of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Fred, so I spent a lot of time. I spent more time in. Um, in uh, in the US and actually I have in probably in Europe um, on different different shoots. I've done a lot of work in a Africa and Asia, um, but um, you know I love it. I, it's interesting and fascinating. And um, even although the politics, I mean, when we went to Monrovia, I mean, it's uh, politics aren't exactly something that Fred and I would uh, would agree with um, with that particular state. But they were really nice people there. I mean, the farmers were great and they were so welcoming. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, and and Fred always avoids you know kind of getting too much into the politics. And, <laughs> but obviously we got to you know look at the uh, I think it was the time when Trump was president um, when we were there. Um, so we'd look at the you know we'd look at the news and say, "What's going on? What's happening?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but that yeah, that's uh, that that's interesting. But it is um, it's a very polarized society, isn't it? I mean, I thought it was bad enough here with Boris Johnson, you know, when yeah. he was prime minister. Um, but it's, uh, you know, um, going to be interesting what's going to happen in the next uh, 18 months. Well, yeah, yeah not, lo not looking forward to it. No. <laughs> before before we let you go, I just wanted to say that Arlen and I watched um, 
some of your Emmy, one of your Emmy award winning uh, work this week with the secret, secret life of cats. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> well, I only did the stuff in, um, in Australia and sure, Britain sure. and uh, New Zealand. I didn't yeah. do the stuff in the U S another, another cinematographer shot that. The life of life of the mammoth was a bit harder to find. Yeah, I did. I did come across the urban elephant. Um, as well as, and the ken loach uh yeah question. yeah oh yeah the ken loach film um right question well, of leadership a couple of times yeah. we worked, worked on a documentary about the miners strike mm-hmm. which i think banned actually um oh. and another one uh called the fatherland when i was doing second oh. unit for chris mengers chris mengers is a you know do you know chris mengers no no Oh, okay, right. He's a brilliant, he's a, uh, an incredible cinematographer. He's got two Oscars, one for The Killing Fields uh-huh. and another one for one in South America. What was it called? Uh, but, I mean, he's a he's, um, missionary, the missionary. Oh, okay. uh, he got an Oscar for that as cinematographer. Um, so I was doing second unit for him, and also um, I did second unit or a little bit of not so much second unit, but more additional camera um, with Stephen Frears, director called Stephen Frears, mm-hmm. uh, way back. Um, yeah, it's funny to see the the meetings uh, in the Ken Loach, seeing you shoot uh, meetings from somebody else from uh, you know another uh, filmmaker's work, but it's a very similar you know type of these people sitting in rooms and talking and the type of thing that yeah. we associate with, with what yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. You're very generous with, with your time. No, I mean, um, it's interesting, you know, I mean, I'm sure I've li- missed a lot out, but um, anytime. Appreciate, we appreciate that. that. We'll probably, yeah. we'll probably take you up on that. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, it's just been, um, I, I do find it quite difficult doing, I've done a couple of podcasts and I do find it difficult because I'm, you know, I always like to keep a low profile and I'm, you know, I don't give a lot of uh, talks. Um, Fred is brilliant, of course, at, at giving talks and, and my friend Dick Pope and, and Roger, but, um, you know, they do lots of um, podcasts and lectures mm-hmm. and they sit in front of big audiences, but, um, you know, I'm used to kind of hiding behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And keeping well, low profile. We appreciate you coming out. One, one funny little thing: when um, we were at um, in Los Angeles, when Fred got his um, Oscar, mm-hmm. there was a, a Hollywood, uh, big Hollywood star. I better not mention his name, but he was curious <laughs> to know why, you know, how how I, you know, got all, got all the material. Um, and um, and I said, well, you've got to be gray man as opposed to day glow man. In other words, what I was trying to explain was you've got to keep a low profile. And he thought that, lit- he said, well, do you shoot everything on 35 mil? I said, no, that would be very difficult. <laughs> um, but um, I just said, you know, you you have to keep a low profile. But he thought that every time I went on a Wiseman shoot, I'd dress in grey. <laughs> <laughs> Will you tell us who it is if we if we don't uh, put it on the, on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, I'll send you an email. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, John. This Thank you. Blast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it's great talking to you, and um, I, I've been absolutely fascinated. I, I've um, dipped into uh, your podcast, and um, and there were it, it's kind of interesting because it, it, it's deeply frustrating for me as well when I read reviews, mm. by, you know, by journalists, and so often they get it wrong. Mm. 
you know, and I, think, I don't, they, just don't, they don't get it. They don't understand. But anyway, I won't keep you any longer. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Thank you. And you as well. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. That rolled. That was great. Yeah, that was great. <laughs>